literally showered on the campground in the in the, in the Eiffel shower. <laughs> Everything is like the the place is full of puns and just it's somewhere you should definitely visit. Um, but uh, and and Jim prepped me for my interview at KFTC. He was like, uh, you know, I got ready for the interview there, and then I sit with him for a minute and talked and. One of my interviewers was going to be Mimi Pickering, who is a filmmaker here at Apple Shop. She had been a part of Apple Shop. She had been part of KFDC for a long time, too. KFDC and Apple Shop have been in close um, relationship uh, for decades. And um, so anyway, I got that job. And uh, by some, you know, Jim introduced me to Apple Shop and KFDC. I worked at KFDC. I organized in East Kentucky with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth for five years. Um, and during that time, I ran three years of Seeds of Fire camps at the Highlander Center. Um, and that entire time, I was um, also a part of the Stay Together Appalachian Youth Project that was a collaboration of Highlander and Apple Shop. Um, and I was funneling people and resources from KFDC into the Stay Project as much as I could and learning just an incredible amount about community organizing at that time. Welcome to episode four of Rad South. My name is Robert Eric Shoemaker. And I'm Olivia Elizabeth Raymond. That was Tanya Turner speaking about how she made her way to Apple Shop, a Southern cultural and social change institution. Tanya's story reflects the stories of so many others. Through Highlander or Apple Shop, movement workers meet individuals like them who lead to the next community and the next engagement and the next and so on. This community web of activism connects every activist and ally across time and space, tangibly and intangibly. Um, after five years of that, I, I got a sabbatical and I actually got to travel to Wales and London, England, and uh, visit with mining communities in Wales that Helen Lewis had built relationships with over the past several decades and that um you know people over there that knew about highlander and, <laughs> and knew about apple shop and an apple shop filmmaker at the time tom hansel was going to be there and so me and um, elizabeth sanders who was an apple shop employee um she was running the radio station then and now um and so we went together she was also a big part of kftc at the time and so for for my sabbatical she took some time off too we went to wales um on this whim and we met up with apple shop filmmaker tom hansel and we like traveled all over we spent a week in the southern coal fields of wales um, meeting people and talking about ex economic transition and they you know they they are 30 years ahead of us over there um, because their mines um, their coal ran out 30 years earlier than us the activist in tanya's story helen matthew lewis is one example of a powerful woman leader at highlander in an apple shop there are countless others though their stories are sometimes less emphasized women have always been a vital powerful element of social justice movements here's tanya I mean, bell hooks changed my life. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that, about what it is to be Appalachian, um, what it is to be uh, intersectional, what it is to, to um, imagine a future, imagine a life for you and your community that you've never seen, right? And so just like having political imagination uh, and... So definitely like those type of women, Kentucky women like that. I went to a Highlander homecoming and met the greater Highlander family, Susan Williams and Pam McMichael. 
Um, and those people have totally changed my life. I've learned, uh, you know, I, 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 there's no way I could list all the things I've learned and gained from being in close relationship with, with Ash um, and Pam and Susan mm-hmm. and Alandria and the strong women who have been, you know, influence running Highlander for the last 10 plus years um, through what, through all kinds of different ways. Um, and so that was, that was pretty, you know, that took me to, that is how I came back to myself. That is how I came back to my community and was able to put these like really radical ideas into a community context that, that um, made sense to me and uh, felt right in my heart, right? That This yeah. is where I learned that I don't have to go home and scream at my um, uncle when he says, like hateful things that he that he's heard on the news, um, and I know actually how to have conversation with him now, and we we can be in loving family relationship and try to hold each other accountable and learn from one another. I'm gonna walk the streets of Washington. Consciousness raising is the slow process of change and requires patience and steadiness in the face of opposition. One prominent anti-racist activist, Anne Braden, spoke often of collective liberation. In her letter to white Southern women, Braden stated, I believe that no white woman reared in the South, or perhaps anywhere in this racist country, can find freedom as a woman until she deals in her own consciousness with the question of race. We grow up little girls, absorbing a hundred stereotypes about ourselves and our role in life, our secondary position, our destiny to be a helpmate to a man or men, but we also grow up white, absorbing the stereotypes of race, the picture of ourselves as somehow privileged because of the color of our skin. The two mythologies become intertwined, and there is no way to free ourselves from one without dealing with the other. Here's Mimi Pickering reflecting on the way empowerment can be cultivated. Well, I think it was that, um, you know, just that women were every bit as competent and capable and smart and creative as men and that for, you know, I mean, probably for centuries, but at least in our culture for a long time had not been considered that. And um, also, you know, during World War II, this, this was not a history I knew at that time, but later learned more of, you know, women had because the men had been drafted, um, you know, women had really been drafted to go to work and were factory workers and um, making airplanes and, you know, just doing. In fact, my mom became the editor of the Stanford newspaper, you know, during the war because, basically because the men were all gone. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, women, that was an example of women doing anything men could do. Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, I think that was, was important. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I definitely was, I, uh, I never was pressured like to get married, you know, to have a big wedding, those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I know in living in Eastern Kentucky and West Virginia, you know, that's a, a very different cultural thing because a lot of young women grow up with that as the, the end goal to get married and or to have babies and so that was was different for me I think. a project that's been really exciting is that I'm working with with the Appalachian Media Institute and in a project around um, reproductive health 
in Eastern Kentucky. We call it All Access EKY. But we're using our approach um, and methodology and culturally based um, storytelling. So we're training young women in uh, media production who are then telling stories about um, their issues around access to um, medically accurate sexual health information, access to reproductive health um, uh, services, birth control, all those kinds of things. So we're trying to, um, with that, we're trying to reach other young women with, um, you know, busting some of the myths and, mm -hmm. you know, talking about these issues. And then we're also um, trying to reach healthcare, social service providers so that they better understand, you know, what are the issues that young women are facing. Yeah. Because we, you know, we have high rates of teen pregnancy in the region, and um, that's a that's a can be a major cause of poverty. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. Yeah, and you know, starting with the young women who've been involved in making media, um, it's really changed their outlook on what you know they see as their potential and what they can do from you know from. One high school woman has talked about, you know, she was just gonna um, just want to have a baby and get married, and, and now she's like, well, maybe I'll go to college, and um, and she dropped out of school, and now she's finished her uh, high school and stuff. So it's been exciting to see that kind of empowerment go yeah. on. As one of the most influential social justice hubs in the United States. Highlighter has empowered and affected change through individuals for decades in large and small ways. Here's Stefan Barber speaking to his experiences at Highlander. Oh uh, yeah, well I actually got involved with that. Uh, actually I was at UofL and I had did a little short documentary on this uh, food organizer. On this food organizer and, uh, and did he, one, I did a little like 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, I can't even remember, about his life. And I uh, met uh, the actual like organizer from there, Kalala Collins. And uh, so they was going, they was, they was uh, organizing this trip to go to the RNC, mm -hmm. the Republican National Convention in 2008 with, uh, it was like part of the national movement as far as the Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign, and they asked me to go and film for them, and that's how I got involved, and we just bonded, man. I just, yeah. I seen, I've been around them, I've seen the work that they was doing around poor people's issues, and uh, how, how poverty affects people on their daily lives, as far as health, as far as like network, as far as like getting a, Getting uh, getting advanced in life, I just fell in love with the organization and the people were really genuine, and you can tell it was it was really genuine and from the heart. So we bonded on that trip to the R at the RNC. That's how I got involved, and I ended up when it uh, when we folded, I ended, I was the uh, the uh, president of the board the last two years. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think Apple Shop, Apple Shop did not start out with a, um, a prescribed social justice lens. And, um, you know, it, it started as one um, sort of, or at least the people who funded it saw it as a vocational training kind of thing. I think that Bill Richardson never saw it as that and really focused on um, enabling younger people to tell stories, learn you know the, how to tell stories and share those stories. Um, we actually were, we were criticized by some of the people at Highlander um, very early on who were saying, oh no, they didn't understand why Apple Shop wasn't out doing a film against strip mining. And, um, you know, I think that um, very wisely, Bill didn't prescribe films for people to do. And it really came out of what story, you know, what story do you want to tell? Um, and as, you know, we got more educated and better informed about, you know, the issues in the region and the capitalist system and, you know, because... Uh, Apple Shop started with, you know, a lot of 18-year-olds coming out of Whitesburg High School. And some went on to college, some not. But, um, you know, there was a lot of learning to do. And we had some projects. Um, we had an Appalachian history film series that we worked on. And in the research, you know, we brought together a lot of uh, scholars from the region. And, you know, that was a really great learning experience from, I mean, they were really the major scholars at the time, so we learned, you know, so much more about the history and, you know, social issues, uh, environment, nature, everything about mm -hmm. the region. So, I mean, I think as we were learning, we were becoming more aware of the um, inequities and the, you know, historical oppression in the region. And, and then I think, so Apple Shop has moved more towards, you know, art for social change mm -hmm. kind of frame. You go brute me, you go scorn me, you go scandalize my name. Since my soul got a seat up in the kingdom, that's all right. I think it's our... I think it's one of our best tools is our own personal story and so um, that's especially when I you know within a within a couple of years of coming out I was feeling um, drawn to activism I was feeling drawn to educate I, I say activism but I would say what I really am in my heart is an educator more than an activist I love to educate mm -hmm. And um, so I had come out to a friend who was teaching a class on the, over here in the College of Ed on healthy, uh, healthy lifestyles, I think is what they called the class. And she was, they were doing a um, section on sexuality and she asked me if I'd just come over and tell my story and talk to her students. And um, I did, there was a, I, t I will tell you, like it's funny because I think back then there there were a lot of challenges I mean, there were a lot of people in the room like saying like the bible says this and 
I don't accept it, blah, blah, blah. But I um, walked out of that room and I felt like I was floating on air. I just felt like, I was like, oh my God, I loved that. And then I just started doing them all the time. Um, as, you know, as often, and then all sort of that professor told several other professors, and I was just going constantly and doing these like speak outs. And then, um, so this was probably like 1990-ish, and um, I realized that it, you know it was a lot for me to do by myself. So I started calling Lisa Gunterman, who worked at the Fairness Campaign, and um, I would always call and say like, Hey, what are you doing next week? Do you want to go do this with me? And and so Lisa and I would go and do them together, and that's kind of how our work together started. I tell you, I gotta say, I, um, I really believe that our personal stories are just so important, and not and for everybody. In fact, a couple of years ago, uh, Marion Vassar and I did um, we did Welcome Week when all the new students came in. And we did a whole activity on a Saturday called Sharing Your Story. And so it included everybody. So whether if you were, you know, whatever, whatever your identities were, the idea was that your story is yours and it's important what you've been through and experience is important and that other people can hear it and that we can learn how to listen to someone's story with curiosity and not judgment. And so. We did this activity with like, I don't know, 700 people where they paired up and told each other their story. And it was really powerful. It was, people came back and shared like I'd never talked to someone Muslim before and I'd never talked to someone who was a Republican before or whatever it was, you know, like people learned like a few skills around honoring somebody's story and also like the skill of like my story really belongs to me. And I, I own it, and um, and I can share it or not share it, and, but it can be a really powerful thing. So I, I've become like a huge fan of that. That was Brian Buford, the current director of Employee Development and Success at the University of Louisville and former LGBT Center director. Brian's sentiment is one that we, and all those involved in and supportive of social justice work, share. Stories have power and we can share our power with one another to bring us all up through awareness-raising and compassion-producing solidarity. We at Red South would like to thank you for joining us on our discussion of movement work, cultural organizing, and empowerment through the stories of the Highlander Center. We hope to see you there soon. I'm Eric Shoemaker. And I'm Olivia Raymond. Thank you for joining us for Red South. Thanks Stefan Barber, Brian Buford, Tanya Turner, and Mimi Pickering for sharing their stories. Our classmates Natalie, Hannah, and Brody for sharing their oral histories with us and for their work behind the scenes. Kate Fossil of the Ann Braden Institute for her leadership, Candy Carowin for her music, and Susan Williams with all the Highlander team for their help with this project. We'd also like to thank everyone who contributed their oral histories to the work of our class and to everyone who supports the work of oral history as activism.